I love the British Dyslexic Association. They do such wonderful work. They provide a huge range of services and support and they are strong advocates for those with dyslexia. So I thought it would be great to invite the CEO of the British Dyslexic Association on the show to have a chat about how they do things in the UK and what are some of the lessons they have learnt along the way. After running the British Dyslexic Association's training department, Helen became the CEO in March 2018. With a focus on empowering dyslexics through lobbying, raising awareness, training and direct support. With a background in education and training since 1990 and qualified specialist dyslexic teacher, Helen began working for the British Dyslexic Association in 2002 and has been with the organisation for over 15 years. Thank you for coming on the show today. Um, You have had an impressive amount of experience working in the field of dyslexia over the last 17 years from what I've been learning about you. Uh, What drew you to working in this space? Basically, both my two children um, are dyslexic. And so a lot of the sort of the where I really kind of got fully immersed in all things dyslexia um, was when they first started within um, their, their sort of entry into education. And they just didn't fit is the only way I could describe it. You know, as a as a mother, I was sort of, yep, they're they're great kids, um, they're really bright, they you know, used to do lots of amazing things at home and then they walked first day in school and within a very short period of time, you know, I was getting these report reports back saying, Oh well they can't do this and they can't do that and they can't do that and they struggle with this and and it just didn't stack up for me. Um, I was, it was that ultimate contradiction as a parent, isn't it, that the child that you know and recognise at home isn't the child that is being described to you in school. Um, and I was working in education anyway and coming across other people within my sort of professional life who I was thinking, well, you know, you're clearly very able, you're clearly very bright, you've clearly you know, on the ball. So what is it that is getting in the way? So it all sort of came together. And um, in actual fact, my first connection with the BDA was through my local dyslexia association who I sought out and um, went to talk to the guys there who gave me loads and loads and loads of um, really useful support and information. And um, at one point, they actually said to me, well, you're a teacher, so why don't you become a specialist teacher? And I was like, oh, that's a good idea. And that was literally the, 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 the route in to sort of the, the very much the professional life immersed in dyslexia, sort of both personally and professionally. Um, and I think there's a lot of people who have similar experiences with their children. Yeah, definitely in Australia, um, the parent advocacy groups have made significant progress and change for um, children in Australia at the moment. It's been fantastic to see. Yeah. Um, so is dyslexia genetic in your family? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, and it's it's really quite funny in that, you know, I sort of was very open about with my children about dyslexia and then you know kind of other various family members have said oh well actually um, I did that and I do that and and so it's it's been real sort of a a journey of discovery both um, sort of within close family and within extended family as well. Yeah our journey's been very much the same I think 
um, once I was diagnosed and then parts of my immediate family were diagnosed as well. Um, so it's interesting how it all unfolds. Yeah, it is. And with the work that we do at the BDA, we quite often will um, say have a child for an assessment. And then when we're sort of um, talking to the parents after that and, and going through the results and things that we then discover, you know, and then the parents say, oh, well, that was my experience. Um, and equally, we get a lot of adults coming for assessments who will say, well, you know, my child is really struggling at school and, and it reminds me of me and I want to find out if I'm dyslexic. So, you know, there is that, that real sort of um, strand that runs through families um, that, that impacts across all generations, really. Yeah, and I mean, we've been watching the work you do uh, really closely because you do such amazing work in the UK and uh, your model of, you know, service delivery and advocacy is um, something that we're trying to work towards in Australia. And um, would you be able to talk to us a little bit more about the type of work that you do? So you do assessments. I mean, the, the BDA is... Um, an incredible organization we we do a huge amount so historically I mean the BDA started about 40 years ago and it, it was founded on parents who came together a small group of parents who came together um, because they were unable to get dyslexia recognized and and therefore couldn't get support for their children so they kind of came together to form this um, support group for themselves and also to lobby for change so the BDA is still very much um, a membership organization with local dyslexia associations spread around the UK. We now expand our membership and it has individual members, professional members and organizational members alongside. So one of our sort of key functions, I guess, still is to support those groups at, at a local level by providing sort of a national umbrella. And it's that national side that um, then lobbies for change at both local and government level. So we're very much still sort of, a, our, our roots are still very much in a membership organization, but we've kind of expanded that now so that we provide a voice at national um, sort of and policy level. So, and as part of that sort of charitable arm, we also provide a free helpline. And through that, we deal with thousands of calls and emails a year. And then we've kind of morphed as well into being also a service provider because obviously as a charity, we also need to, to generate funds to support our, some of our charitable work. So we run an assessment service um, for adults and children and, and in the workplace as well. We also deliver a huge amount of training. Um, so we do a lot of face-to-face -face training, e-learning and blended learning. And many of our courses are either as standalone or now running right the way through to accredited courses that will lead to um, specialist teacher qualifications. So we have bucket loads of conferences, webinars and events. Um, we have our international conference, which is in May 2021. So that's every three years. And one of the things that we rolled out more recently um, over the last sort of 18 months is roadshows for parents. So those travel around the country. And it's really about getting to the, the root of um, where parents are struggling or they've not got good information. So we do that in partnership with a number of um, sort of friends of the BDA. 
to provide sort of information on dyslexia, um, some legal information, information on technology, and also around um, sort of the the impact on the family and the confidence, self-esteem, that kind of thing. And then we're also, gosh, we're very busy. Um, we set the standards yeah. as well for um, specialist dyslexia teachers. So we are credit organisations who run those programmes. We develop frameworks of best practice um, and quality assurance. So we've got our Quality Mark, our Dyslexia Smart Awards, and then our BDA Assured Awards. So we're, we're kind of trying to bring everything into one one place, both as ensuring quality services for training and assessments and accreditation, but also really staying in touch with our roots that are our, our membership and, and what's happening on the ground so that we can feed that back through into our policy work um, because I think that gives us great credibility in that we are you know very in touch with what what parents and individuals are experiencing on the ground. Sounds amazing we're um, a long way off having any type of organization uh, like that in Australia though we are forming. Um, yeah and I think it's a bit mad really I think for a, for a relatively small charity we we do a huge amount um, mm. And we work with some really great partners and, and people who support our work, um, be that, you know, volunteers right the way through to um, other organisations that provide um, products and things. That's fantastic. And you started at the BDA as a trainer and then you um, transitioned to the role of the CEO, which would have been very exciting for you. Um, yeah, I just feel sort of like I've been in, I think I've, if you cut me in half, I think I'd have BDA written right the way through me, actually. Um, my first job at the BDA, which is a long, long time ago, um, was doing um, an action research project with young offenders and then another one with long-term unemployed. BDA and the training and developing the training services and and building that really um, alongside um, the, the chair at the time, which was Margaret Malpas, sort of build that from the ground up and then we've kind of gradually extended a lot of that work now. And so over that time um, from the action learning project through to your training now to your, through, um, to being the CEO what have you seen what changes have you seen come through during that period? Um, a lot but not as much as I would have liked to have seen I guess um, so I think over that time we've seen dyslexia as a as a term as a name become much more widely known um, but that said there are still many myths and many misunderstandings attached to it and it is still something um, the credibility of something that some people feel that they can challenge even though you know it is something that now is being recognized for sort of 40 years i think more recently we've certainly seen the support available to individuals in mainstream education dwindle we kind of had a a really good period in the following the rose review where there was some really positive change but i think more recently we've seen that that sort of tail off and we're now in a position where you know parents still have to fight really hard just to access support for their children um, although, in actual fact, their rights to that support are now enshrined in law. So, you know, we, it kind of goes in peaks and troughs. You get sort of some small wins and then you maybe get a big win and then it, it, it kind of dips again. Um, I think within sort of special educational needs, and there is this sort of cyclical 
sort of roundabout where some things are in vogue and some things aren't. And really, you know, what we, we need to be developing is a very consistent mainstream approach where all of this stuff is embedded within a mainstream setting. Yes, you're right. And I think um, what appears to be in vogue at the moment really is this big movement around neurodiversity and um, coming for that really strong strength-based approach. And I've seen a lot of that coming out of the UK. And um, yeah. in Australia, we're quite, it's, uh, the neurodiversity really is more focused on autism rather than the inclusive dyslexias and ADHDs. It's interesting to see what's happening over there and the, the shift from the medical model um, to more a social model of how we look at and work with people that have the neurodiverse. Have you seen that coming through? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the neurodiversity banner has been quite useful in many ways. Um, and it's it sort of captured quite a lot of interest alongside the, the sort of strength-based approach um, and the celebrating of those strengths, which is, is quite right. And, and they are there and, and, you know, they are very important and they are um, vital in order to move sort of organizations and industry forward. We need those new innovations. We need those big picture thinkers and problem solvers. I think there is a risk around that under that banner of neurodiversity that the individual aspects of each of those things under that banner kind of gets diluted. So in some cases, you know, the the sort of differences between individuals kind of gets lost. So, I mean, we, we know that dyslexia co-occurs with um, lots, you know, can potentially co-occur with other things, but equally we need to sort of focus on the, the needs of the individual because the individual should be kind of front and centre um, and everybody will be different. So just sort of putting people under a broad banner without actually drilling down into the individualised nature of all of this is, is perhaps slightly at risk of diluting what those individuals need. And I also think, you know, if you are in a position where you've had opportunity to tap into those talents and strengths and abilities, it's great. But we're still seeing far too many people who are hindered by their life or educational experiences that means kind of they never get the opportunity to um, utilize the, the strengths that they might have because they are their life chances are restricted by the educational experiences that that they've had if that makes sense yeah I couldn't agree with you more I mean I'm doing my doctorate in the social emotional well-being of young people and adults specifically in Australia at the moment and also dyslexia in the workplace and speaking to employees and the majority of them are struggling to see their strengths when day-to-day -day it's such a challenge for them. And I think you're right in that it loses, um, it does dilute by putting us all together and then focusing on one area because the people we see coming through are, are really struggling as well and it's hard to find that balance. We even have parents saying that they how do they explain it to their child? Because their child is struggling, but then there's this big push to say, well, it's all strengths at the moment. So it's, I feel like we're in this really catch 22 around how we move in this space at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, a lot of the work that I've done over the years is with um, young offenders and, and adult offenders. And 
in those circumstances, you know, you can't help but feel sometimes that if their dyslexia had been identified earlier, then perhaps their 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 choices might have been different. Um, you know, that isn't to say that's always the case. Mm. But in order to utilise those strengths, you need to be in a position where somebody um, recognises them, and that's great. But there also needs to be the support systems underneath that to ensure that any challenges that somebody experiences are well supported in order that those strengths can be sort of tapped into and unleashed. So we need to be honest and straightforward about saying, yeah, there are certainly these these potential strengths and abilities, but equally we need to mainstream and ensure that the support is available to that individual so that they can tap into those talents at the same time addressing some of those challenges. From an employment point of view, it's important that an employer recognises that, yeah, they absolutely need those talents, but there may be stuff that they need to do to ensure that that individual is supported effectively in other areas so that they can maximise the, the potential of that employee. And so our organisation, we have a strong, um, our main focus is 16 and over and um, really working with those people that have fallen through the gaps uh, and supporting them. And so what do you think um, workplaces can be doing um, holistically so that we could support not just people with dyslexia but um, across the board? What strategies do you think they could be putting in place um, to support dyslexics but then like have a dyslexic standard? if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I mean, we do a lot of work in this space um, here. So I think there's a number of things that we've noticed um, and have actually done a a bit of a survey on that make a difference. Um, One of the biggest issues for both the individual and the employer is around disclosure. So the individual feels anxious about disclosing, which then means that maybe they, they struggle more and don't get the support. And so it's that kind of the employer is quite often willing to support, but they don't know who or what or how. So I think there's a number of things. One of the things we've noticed um, particularly is about putting dyslexia very much on a mainstream agenda. So, for example, having a senior person within an organization talk about dyslexia very openly is quite a strong driver for individuals within employees within that organization to become you know to become more open and discuss it we also see things like the formation of dyslexia networks within an organization being a really positive force for change so where individuals set up a peer support network um, they can actually very much drive that agenda from within but those networks are far more effective when they've got somebody at the top sort of lending their, their name and their strength to it. And what we then see is that dyslexia just becomes part and parcel of the mainstream of that organisation, just as other issues such as um, gender or race, whatever else is, it just becomes part of their their recognised processes and it becomes much more mainstream. So what we developed more recently we was a Dyslexia Smart Award for organisations. So what that asks um, them to do is some really simple steps around um, identifying a key person to take the lead on it, 
um, having a training event, having an event just within the organization for Awareness Week and putting information on their mainstream systems, so such as on their intranet or in appraisal documents or in induction documents. And in that way, it, it just kind of, as I say, it just mainstreams it across the the organization. So it becomes something that is very openly talked about and discussed, and it encourages people then to disclose and support each other. The other thing that we do quite a lot of is obviously training for organizations. But sometimes that's quite light touch. So it might be something like a lunch and learn, which is just a very general sort of discussion around dyslexia. And at those sorts of sessions, you might get dyslexic employees, you might get line managers that's got a, a, a somebody they're managing who's dyslexic. Um, or equally, you might get parents of dyslexic children because one of the, the factors within this, as, as I know as a parent of dyslexic children, is that if you're an employee and you're struggling with your children, you bring that stress into the workplace. So it kind of also moves it into a slightly broader health and well-being agenda as well for parents of dyslexic children within an organisation. And so those sort of light-touch events are really useful but what we also have is we train um, in-house workplace needs assessors so that an organization then has within itself the capacity to move very quickly and seamlessly to do a workplace needs assessment for somebody who needs it and put in place the, the support and the reasonable adjustments that will then help and enable them to carry out their role. And that's very useful for embedding that support within the, the organization itself, but also making the, the referral and route very quick so you're not leaving people to struggle. There's a clear sort of process embedded that people can follow to then access the support, and that works. So when all of that happens and it all comes together, what you then end up with is a very inclusive organization where dyslexia is just something that is very mainstream. Well they're fantastic strategies and really valuable to hear because I mean at the moment we don't have workplace needs assessors at all. Right. Um, so there's still a significant amount of work to be done in the workplace and for us it's at the very beginning we're just raising awareness that dyslexia actually exists in the workplace. And we've tried to do what um, you've done with your awards, but we have an annual gala. And so last year it was um, someone, a leader within uh, a community member that was leading in dyslexia. And then this year we brought in the workplace, but we didn't have any workplaces that could stand up and say they were doing anything around dyslexia. So we broadened it out to just um, supporting people in inclusive environments to start with. So we've got yeah. quite a long way to go. Yeah, I mean, I think all it takes is for a few people in a few high places to sort of come out and, and talk openly about their dyslexia. And that really can be a, a, a positive driver um, where they're talking about maybe the, the struggles that they might have had and then how they've overcome them and how, you know, the, how dyslexia now helps them in their lives. And, and we certainly found that that was a big force for change and, it, and it's still a big force for change in individual organisations. Mm, we've started with the podcast, so trying to have a variety of, uh, a mixture of people that come on the show, but some that are um, 
famous in Australia or have been quite successful to try and help encourage others uh, to come out and disclose. Uh, but at the moment, it's still uh, baby steps, I think. Yeah. 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 Well, we're, so, we're still a work in progress. I wish we, I could yeah. say we've 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 cracked it, but we certainly haven't. So it's still very much a work in progress. But we kind of, at least, you know, are making progress, and and we see some really really positive steps and some really good work. Yeah, it sounds like it. And you're right. I mean, there are picks and troughs, and depending on who's in government and what what the priority is, uh, is to then how we continue to raise awareness and work in the space as well. I think. Um, but there are big shifts happening in Australia, which is really exciting to see at the moment at both the state and federal level. Um, so speaking of shifts, so over the last couple of years, have you seen a lot of policy change or what do you think have been some of the enablers or barriers to moving forward? I think at the moment, you know, there are significant issues with the sort of educational environment and the sort of focus on on um, policy within education so I think um, we still have a huge amount to do um, around um, developing better support in schools and making a fast and sort of seamless route to diagnosis and support we kind of know that that's the thing that changes lives for the better and also yield long-term results for individuals um, in terms of improved life chances and, and things. I mean, one of the biggest challenges that we've had in education at the moment has been lack of funding, um, and we hope that that might change. Um, obviously, it's dependent on the current government to decide how they want to fund education and what they want to fund. But I certainly think in my role, you know, I meet great people who are doing great and amazing things. I think one of the biggest challenges in, in the, the dyslexia space is around bringing, you know, everybody together and speaking in a, in a united voice. Um, and I think that also includes sort of grassroots, um, you know, from developing that grassroots support. I think sometimes parents feel very disempowered um, and very isolated. So I think one of the important things is actually and dyslexic individuals themselves to bring all of those people together because actually that is a huge and significant number of people and if they speak as one voice then they are have the potential to to actually move forward with um, significant changes it is just a question of making sure that there is you know a, a route for that voice to be heard have you found it hard to advocate because dyslexia sits across all facets of someone's life, so whether it's mental health, education, workplace, corrections, uh, employment. So there's a number of different sectors that you have to bring together um, if you're wanting to look at the whole lifespan. Um, have you found that challenging or is that how you approach it? No, I mean, I think we we as an organisation take a very sort of inclusive and holistic approach. So we we have obviously a focus on education but we also have sort of strands within our activity around adults and around um employment um and around you know sort of mental health and such so i think it's it's really for us as an organization to bring all of that together um and then to act as that uniting voice for all of those strands that represent all of those individuals 
we're just starting to be able to try and bring everyone together to sit at the table because it's really been very much an education focus in Australia. So it's yeah, looking at how do we how do we get everyone together to address all the needs as you um, progress through your life, really. Yeah, and I think those needs change quite often. Mm. They you know they change and they develop and what might have been a a big issue for somebody in education you know, might reduce as an issue, but then there might be something else that becomes more of a more of a challenge for them. Um, so, you know, I mean, for example, if somebody struggles with the, the literacy side, yet when they get into the workplace, there's, there's a lot of assistive tech that they can use, but equally they might find that they then, you know, have challenges around managing their workload or, or work stress. So I think the, the underpinning... Challenges associated with dyslexia are always there. They just change shape a little bit as somebody progresses through their life. And I think they're impacted by not just the, the challenge, but also the environment, the individual, their life experiences and so much more. And I think that that is always going to be a challenge with dyslexia is that you can't just point at one thing and say that's what it is. It is a whole raft of things different things that manifest in a whole range of different ways and are entirely dependent on the individual at the centre of it all. Yes, that's very true. And sometimes they get lost, I think. Indeed. <laughs> yes. And sometimes they get rebranded as being something completely different. <laughs> I'm glad I haven't been rebranded. <laughs> no, Not yet, no anyway. but it does happen. You know, and I, I think we see that a lot with sort of in the workplace where somebody might, I don't know, be struggling with managing their workload and they're, you know, they're just seen as being disorganised and that that being disorganised isn't related, you know, it's almost viewed, I think, sometimes by people who don't understand as being a, a, a personal failure and, and it's making those connections between actually, you know, no, that's still that's still the, the dyslexia thing, um, you know, so I think it's just... It's also about raising awareness of, you know, it isn't just reading and spelling. It manifests across all sorts of things in all sorts of different ways. And, you know, depending on the, the situation that somebody finds themselves in, then their needs will vary and be dependent on, on that. So um, where do you think we should um, be focusing our attention over the next five years, considering the movements that are occurring across the world around neurodiversity and uh, what we we're just talking about that you know over the lifespan you change things change for you as a country but also you know strategically internationally what do you think we should be focusing our attention on oh gosh um i don't know <laughs> it's a difficult one isn't it <laughs> <early morning. laughs> um, magic one time i think um, I mean, for us, over here, our focus is very much now on um, ensuring that the support that people need is embedded within mainstream education, for one. That's our first thing. So we are looking and campaigning around having um, a specialist teacher in every school because we know that early identification, early support, early intervention um, provides people with the, the best opportunities for success um, and then sort of improves those those life chances. 
But I also think there is another element to that of, of those people who are now out of education around raising awareness across all sectors of society, literally across all sectors of society, including employment, um, as general awareness raising in order to get dyslexia well and truly on the agenda um, and to get people talking about it. And it's only when people start talking about it that that we will recognise more fully the benefits as well as the challenges and that we start to move towards actually embedding that support within all of our systems, be it within, um, you know, education, offending, social sort of deprivation, mental health and well-being and, you know, access to employment and also progression and success within employment. And that sounds... Like an ideal world, really, doesn't it? Yeah, I'm always the optimist, you see. I, I, I still get out of bed every morning going, right, today we're going to change the world. Um, yes. um, yeah, it's just one one baby step at a time, I think. And, yeah. um, but, you know, we, we're all very passionate about what we do and that's why we do it and we recognise that what we do is, is, is massively important and it impacts on a very large number of the population. So, you know, when we, when we lose that, that passion then it's, it's probably time to to step out of the agenda but I think we're a long way off that yet. Do you think um, there's anything from an international perspective that we could be doing um, to continue raising awareness and improving the outcomes for people? I think I mean I think sort of if from your side I think you know the BDA would will be would love to support you and and um in whatever way we can and i think you can certainly um maybe learn from from some of the mistakes that we've made over the years and and you know we are always happy to share what we've learned and what we've produced yeah. with anybody else um say so we've been around the bda has been around now for 40 odd years um, and we've, you know, certainly had lots of peaks and troughs um, and learnt from stuff along the way. So I think, you know, learning from what other people are doing and what other people have done um, is and sharing all of those experience sort of internationally is the way forward. And then I think, you know, it, it saves a lot of time and effort in reinventing the wheel to actually um, tap into the expertise that already exists. Yeah, you're very right, and I've um, really appreciated the opportunity to talk CEO to CEO around. Uh, <laughs> oh, it's my pleasure. I'm, I'm, I'm happy to talk to anybody. Yeah, it's been really valuable, and I think our listeners will really appreciate you spending some time with me this evening, your morning, talking about um, all things dyslexia and also sharing some of your personal experiences as well. Thank you for that. I really appreciate it. Before we um, finish, is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, no, I mean, I'm just, you know, thrilled that, that you are doing what you're doing um, over there. And I wish you absolutely every success with it. And if we can support your endeavours in any way, um, then I'd be absolutely thrilled to do so. Thank you so much. And um, My pleasure. we look forward to talking to you again. To find out more about all the great work that the British Dyslexic Association does, head to their website at bda.co.uk. Further information can also be found through the Dear Dyslexic website. If you haven't already done so yet, make sure you sign up to our mailing list 
so you can keep up to date with everything we do at the foundation. Head to deardyslexic.com. And don't forget, if there is anything you have heard today that was distressing, please call Beyond Blue on 1300 22 46 36 or Lifeline on 13 11 14. If there is a topic you would like discussed on the show, please email us admin at dyslexic.com. I hope you've enjoyed today. Bye for now. Okay.